0: Psalm 32, from blowing it to a blessing. We're going to read the whole psalm as we go through it, but just for our opening verses, verse 1 and 2 and verse 11. The words of David. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. Verse 11, If you're that man, or if you're that woman, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Yea, righteous, and shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. Some years ago, there was a movie called The Mission. Maybe you saw it. It starred Robert De Niro, and he played the part of a murderer who fled to South America to escape his crime. He was a man on the run, a fugitive, if you will. While he was able to escape justice, he was not able to escape the guilt of what he had done. Overwhelmed by a guilty conscience that haunted him like a ghost day and night, De Niro tied a bag weighing several hundred pounds around his body, and he dragged it everywhere he went. His hope was that in doing this act of penance, He could somehow compensate for his crime and ease his tormented soul. But it was to no avail. When I think about that movie, I think about our world. I think about the church. I think about our church. I think about maybe you or me. Because aren't all of us in some way like Robert De Niro? We've blown it. We've messed up. We've done wrong. We've done wicked. We've committed crimes and sins against God, if not others. We're eat up with guilt. Our souls are tormented day and night. And we seek. Penance. We seek religion to try to take away the guilt. We seek busyness, going here, going there, doing this and doing that to consume us that we won't have to think about what we've done. Some turn to intoxication. They can just get drunk, they can just get high. Maybe they will forget. Some seek self-deprivation. They hurt themselves, thinking that somehow if they hurt themselves, it makes up for the hurt they've caused others. It doesn't work. In our psalm, David was once, was once a man tormented by his sins. But he found forgiveness. And with that forgiveness, peace and joy and hope that only God can give. And in the 32nd Psalm, David is honoring a promise he made to God. The 32nd Psalm is David's testimony. In Psalm 51, he confesses his sin. and Psalm 32... He's honoring a promise he made to God when he confessed his sin. He said, Lord, if you will forgive me, I promise you, I will teach other transgressors your ways. And that's what David's doing in Psalm 32. You say, wait a minute, Pastor. He's giving a testimony in Psalm 32, but his confession doesn't come to Psalm 51. Don't be confused. The Psalms are not written in chronological order. In Psalm 51, David confesses. And in Psalm 32, he's given a testimony of it. And the important thing about this testimony is, is David wants us to stop, look, and listen and learn. You say, where do you get that from? Do you notice three times in those verses... Three times in 11 verses, David uses the word selah. That's a Hebrew word that means stop the music. Because many of the psalms were played to music. They were actually sung. Selah means stop the music. Let there be quiet. That those who are listening will listen not just with the two ears of their head, but with the ear of their heart, that they will look, they will listen, and they will learn what is being said. So I hope today we will see Stop, look, and listen, and learn from the testimony of a man who not only is going to tell us what the Bible says. He's going to tell us what he went through. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2. The happiness of forgiveness. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is he whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. In whose spirit there will be foul no guile. Verse 1 and 2, David begins both of those verses with the word blessed. That word blessed can translate happy. Perhaps your Bible says happy. But it means more than happy, it means exceedingly happy. You say, Pastor, what's the difference in happy and exceedingly happy? Happy is when somebody gives you a peanut butter sandwich. Exceedingly happy is when they put a, a slab of grape jelly on it. David is exceedingly happy. Why is he happy? Why is he exceedingly happy? Because the Lord has taken his wrongs and his wickedness and has forgiven Now, what were David's wrongs and wickedness? What did this man after God's own heart, who is in God's hall of fame, if there be such in heaven, what were his wrongs and wickedness? What were his crimes and his sins? Well, he had lust on the inside, And whatever you are on the inside, if you don't do something about it, will manifest itself on the outside. What a man is, is what he will say and what he will do. You can only camouflage it for so long. And David was a man eaten up with lust. That lust led to adultery. That adultery led to murder. That murder led to a royal cover up. David lied. And God stepped in. God does step in when we sin. You know that, don't you? You better. David sinned, he sinned against God. He sinned against others. He sinned against himself. He describes his sin in four ways. First of all, he says, I sinned with transgression. This word transgression means to rebel against authority. David rebelled against God, who's the ultimate authority. God, I know what you said, but I'm not going to listen. I'm going to do what I want to do. Then he sinned with sin in verse 1. That word for sin means to fall short of a standard. David fell short of God's standard of perfect righteousness. Then David says, I was guilty of iniquity. This word iniquity means to be warped or perverted, to be bent, to be crooked. God had told him to walk the straight and narrow. David said, I'm not interested in that. And then David says, I was guilty of guile. I was guilty of transgression, defiance. I was guilty of sin, I was defective. I was guilty of iniquity, I was distorted. I was guilty of guile. Guile is hypocrisy, deceit, it's lying. All of that. David said, I was guilty of those four major sins. All tied back to my lust, to my adultery, to my murder, and to my cover-up. I'm sure David would want to tell us that he did try to cover those things up. But you cannot hide sin. He tried to muzzle them, but you can't keep sin silent. He tried to run from sin, but the sin stayed with him. He couldn't shake it. He tried to justify his sins, but his sins had no defense. David was a man haunted by the ghost of guilt. Those ghosts tormented him every waking moment, every sleeping moment. He could not get away from the ghost of guilt when he was awake or when he was asleep. He could not get away from the ghost of guilt when he was with other people or he was with by himself. He was a man haunted. And after he tried everything under the sun... He turned to the Son, to the S-O-N, to Jesus Christ. And he cried out to the Savior his sins. And he asked the Lord to forgive him. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And cleanse us of all iniquity. You say, Pastor, that's a New Testament verse. We're talking about the Old Testament. It's a Bible verse. And it applies to those of the past, and it applies to those of the future. And more importantly, it applies to us today. Notice David says, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. David asked the Lord to forgive him. The Lord forgave him. That word forgive is an interesting word. It means to take the burden off somebody and carry it away. If I could give you a picture of that word, it would be a person carrying a 100-pound bag of fertilizer on their back. You farm boys know about this. And man, you're carrying that bag and it's weighing you down. It's wearing you out. And all of a sudden, somebody pulls up in a wagon and says, put the fertilizer on the wagon. You put it on the back of the wagon. And then the driver of the wagon takes that 100-pound bag of fertilizer and he takes off and goes. There you are, by yourself. The weight has been lifted. The fertilizer is gone. That's what God did to David's sins. He lifted him off his back and he carried him away. That's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 when he said, Come unto me all you that are labor and heavy laden and I'll give you what? Rest. I'll lift that burden and I'll take that burden far from you, the burden of your sin. And then notice David says, In verse 1, following your Bible, whose sin is covered. When David went to the Lord with his sin, instead of trying to do other things with it, the Lord forgave him. And then the Lord covered him. His sin is covered. That word covered means to put out of sight. If I could draw you a picture of that, it would be a magician. The magician's holding up a ball in front of you. And as you're watching the ball, all of a sudden he takes a sweep of his hand and the ball's gone. It disappears. He covered the ball. He, He put it out of sight. David says, that's what God did to my sin. It was ever before me. And God, using a sleight of hand that would point to there, He took it away. I couldn't see it no more, nor would he see it. As Psalm 103 verse 12 says, He took it as far from me as the east is from west. He remembered it no more because it could not be seen. He disappeared it. He put it into the sea of forgetfulness and it flowed away. And then notice that David uses... In verse 2, he says, Blessed is the man with whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. That word imputeth means erases. It means to, to take away something with an eraser and make it as if it never was. I like to write with a pencil because I make a lot of mistakes. And then I just take their eraser and erase it. Nobody ever knows. David said, my sins were written on a sheet of condemnation. And God took an eraser and erased every single one of them. God had a ledger sheet with all the debt that I owed because of all my sins. And I couldn't pay the debt. And God took an eraser dipped in blood and erased every single one of them. That though my sins were as scarlet, they now would become whiter than the virgins. Wow. Happy is the man who's forgiven. Amen? David said, "I had all these sins, and when I went to God on my knees, he did something with them. and I'm happy, exceedingly happy because of it. Now I wish I could tell you it, it, it happened that quickly. <laughs> David is no different than us. He had to let sin deal with him a while before he would come to that conclusion. The happiness of forgiveness, but it only began through the heaviness of sin. Look at verses 3 through 5. Remember, this is David's testimony. He's telling you a personal story about what he went through. He says in verse 3, when I kept silent, when I would not confess my sin, when I tried to cover it up. My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. The hand of God was upon him, heavy upon him. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Stop, look, and listen, and learn. Verse 5, For I acknowledge my sin unto you. My iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Stop, look and listen and learn. Selah. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, says the proverb. When David refused to deal with his sin, his sin would now deal with him. Understand something. Get this down? God deals with his children's sins now. It's called discipline. God deals with the sins of those that are not his later. It's called wrath. So if you're here today without Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, please don't think you're getting away with anything. It's just that the Father is not going to discipline you. You're not his children. You're the children of the devil. And you will face the wrath of God in eternity. But if you are a child of God, you claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you choose to sin, willful, deliberate sin and you refuse to do anything about it, then the Father will discipline you. Many years ago, I got in trouble. I know that's hard to believe. And a police officer picked me up and about 15 other football players. Because we were football players, we thought you could get away with anything you want to get away with. So we decided to cut school, go to the beach. Well, the head coach found out about it. The principal found out about it. They called the local police. They came to the beach, rounded us all up, took us to the police station, called our parents. And my dad came and got me. My dad said very few words. He had the look. Long before the look was vogue, he had the look. And he gave me the look. I wish he would have given the other 14 players that were there the look. He didn't give them the look. He gave me the look. He gave me the finger. He gave me the arm. He gave me the escort. He gave me the chewing out of how I embarrassed him on the way home. And then he gave me the whooping when I got home. Why didn't he mess with the other kids? They weren't his. He disciplined his son who carried his name. God disciplines his sons and daughters who carries his name. The others he'll deal with later. And David was his. And David does not want to deal with his sin. So now God is going to discipline him. In verse 3, David says he lost his health. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. That word roaring is an interesting word. It comes from a Hebrew word that, that pictures an animal caught in a trap. Who's dying. And the hollering and screaming that's coming from that animal. Who's in pain. Knowing that he he cannot get out of the trap. That death is coming. David said when I tried to hide my sin from God. When I tried to cover it up. I wouldn't deal with it. God took my health. My body began to fall apart. I began to die. I began to cry like an animal in a trap. I began to develop ulcers. My blood pressure skyrocketed. I had migraine headaches. My muscles and my joints, they ached continually. My organs began to to dysfunction. My skin began to to have eruptions and boils. I began to die. The physical toll of my sin was God's way of disciplining me. But it didn't stop there, he says in verse 4. He said, I not only lost my health, but I lost my happiness. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. Not only did... Sin take a physical toll on David. It took an emotional toll. Not only did his body begin to break down, but his heart began to break. Not the organic heart, the spiritual heart. A man that once was so happy now became so sad. A man who once had a high, natural high, now was depressed. A man who always was calm is now stressed out. A man who has never had a worry is now filled with anxieties and guilt and fear. David said it didn't stop there. I lost my health, the physical. I lost my happiness, the emotional. Then he says, I lost my social life. Verse 4b, he says, I lost my heartiness. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. David used to be the life of the party. Now he's a party pooper. He has become Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was a billionaire who went to Acapulco, Mexico, and died a recluse. He didn't want to see nobody. He was angry with the world. And David has become a a Howard Hughes, to speak. This man who used to like to greet people, now is lonely. He's reclusive, he's isolated, he's paranoid, he's schizophrenic. He's detached. You Get the picture? The father is disciplining his son and his daughters. His son specifically. upping the ante to bring about confession. I think David is like the character in Edgar Allan Poe's story called The Tell-Tale Heart. Many of you have read that story, one of his best, of how a young man kills an older man, dismembers his body, tears up the planks of the floor of his bedroom, and buries the man under the planks and then restores the planks. Well, the authorities come looking for the old man. The young man actually sits down in a seat over the body where he had buried it underneath the planks. And he hears something. hears the heartbeat of the man he murdered. And the louder the heartbeat gets, the more he becomes fidgety. He says, if I hear this man's heart beating, these police officers must be hearing it too. They're just acting like they don't. Oh, they know story goes on and on and on and the heartbeat gets louder and louder and louder faster and faster and faster and finally the man, the young man screams out quit tormenting me police you know I did it, why don't you just say it and he confesses to the crime David hears the heartbeat of what he's done And it's driving him crazy. Physically, mentally, emotionally, socially. Now, David does what all of us do when God begins to tighten up. He begins to play games with God. Are you listening to me? He begins to play games with God. He says, Lord, if I've sinned, You like that little word? If. How many of us bring to God our confessions always beginning with the little word if? If I've sinned. If I've said something I shouldn't have said. If I've done something I shouldn't have done. If. He he tried that with God too. He also said I'll do better. God, God, I'll do better. I promise you. Just let let this go and I'll do better. I'll make it up. I'll make it up, God. God. I promise you. I, I'll go to church twice as much. I'll give twice as much. I'll do twice as much. Just, just, let, let's just have a trade-off, Lord. You, you'll get the better end of the bargain, I promise. Then he tried this, Lord. Lord, Lord, just forgive me of everything. Oh, just give me a, a, whole, a whole sweep, Lord. Forgive me of everything. <laughs> Lord, I, I, I know I did bad. But I didn't do as bad as that one over there. I didn't do as bad as that one or that one or that one. Lord, I know I know, I did wrong. But I, I only committed one act of adultery. I'm not a playboy, Lord. I only murdered one man. I'm not a mass murderer. And David tried to change the labels. Lord, it's my red hair. That's what did it, Lord. You made me with red hair. That's what gave me this temper that caused me to do what it did. And Lord, I didn't really lie. Lord, I just, I just played on words. Lord, I didn't have sex with that woman. See, we do that too. Say, Pastor, how do you know all that? Because I do that too, and you do it too. We play games with God, but God would have none of it. The father says to his sons and daughters, I have an expectation of behavior, and I want you to do something about it if you don't meet that expectation. What I want from you is a full confession. A full disclosure, full responsibility, full repentance. Or the physical, the emotional, the social toll is only going to increase. And I really believe this. If David would not have done something, the Lord would have took his life. Now, if God would do this to David... What's he going to do to you and me? He doesn't play favorites. There's no bias in the house of God. There's no prejudice in the family of God. What God expects of me, he expects of you. What he expects of you, he expects of me. And he expected it of David. Full confession. What God wanted David to say is, I did it. I I lusted, I committed adultery, I murdered, I lied, I cheated, I was dishonest, I did it. Full confession, full disclosure, naming specifically what he did. Not one of these, if I've done anything, or just forgive it all in general. God wanted David to name his sins. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. (laughs) You need to count your sins and name them too. Many of us want to sin retail and confess wholesale and it doesn't work that way. God said to David, I want you to own up to what you did and I want you to specifically tell me what you did. I already know David, I want you to tell me. And I want you to take full responsibility for it, David. I don't want any of this if and what. Your sin has no defense. There's no alibi. There's no excuses. There's no one to blame, David. You did it. And I want you to say, I'm sorry, David. And I want you to stop it. That's what God asked of David. That's what he asked of you and I, too. Full confession, full disclosure, full responsibility, and full repentance. I heard the story about a king who visited a prison. He sat down with a number of prisoners, he asked them to tell him, tell him their story. It's amazing how nobody's ever guilty in prison. (laughs) And each and every one the king talked to, every one of them swore their innocence. They said it wasn't their fault. It was the judge's fault. It was a faulty judicial system. They were framed. They had a bad attorney. They were poor. None of them owned up to the fact that what they did was wrong. They had violated the law. They deserved what they got. Except one. One man told the king, Your your majesty, I'm guilty. I did exactly what they said I did. My sentence was fair. And I'm paying the penalty for what I did. Justifiably so. When the king left the prison, he went to the chief magistrate of the kingdom. And he said, I would like to give a pardon to the prisoners. And the chief magistrate said something very interesting. He said, Your majesty, you can only give a pardon to a guilty man. You cannot give a pardon to a man who's innocent. All of these prisoners who have told you they're innocent, you cannot give them a pardon. It would be a violation of the law. The only one you can pardon is the one who said he was guilty. And so the one who was guilty was the one who was forgiven. And the rest of them stayed in prison. God can only forgive. God can only pardon. Are you listening to me? Those who own up to their guilt. As long as you want to play, I didn't do it. Or it's not my fault, or the devil made me. As long as you want to play games with God, you will never be forgiven. And the toll will only increase and mount. Verses 6 through 11, the happiness of forgiveness, the heaviness of sin, the help of God. Verses 6 through 11, we're just going to go through very quickly. But essentially, David is just throwing in some extra in his testimony. He says in verses 6 and 7 seek forgiveness while you can because there might come a day when you can't. Look at verses 6 and 7. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto you in a time when thou mayest be found. In other words, if you've got sin in your life, you need to pray and confess it to God and be forgiven why God can still be found. Because one day the floods of great waters are going to come. And then you're going to need a hiding place in verse 7. Someone who can preserve you from the trouble Seek forgiveness while you can because there might come a day when that forgiveness will no longer be offered. You see, the more you play games with God with sin, the colder and harder your heart gets. Or you could die and never have settled those accounts at all. David says do it now while you can when you have a hard, cold heart or you die, it's too late. Verses 8-10 through He says, when you confess your sin and repent of your sin and by the way, repentance means stopping what you're doing and going a different direction. When you do that, He says the Lord will will guide you. you. You don't have to Try to figure it out, the Lord will guide you where he wants you to go and this new path that he wants you to lead. Notice in verses 8 through 10 I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. Now, if you if somebody can see your eye or you can see their eye, that means where they at in proximity to you. They're what? They're close. Right? If I can see your eyes, I know you're close. If you can see my eyes, you know I'm close. So in other words, God comes back. It's a closeness now. It says in verse 9, Don't you be as a horse or as a mule. (laughs) Don't you be like a Georgia mule. Don't, don't, Don't you act stubborn and be crazy. Have understanding. Don't stay away from me. Come near me. He says in verse 9. And then in verse 11, seek forgiveness while you can. Follow God's way as he will lead and direct you. Don't be stubborn like a mule. Don't be mule-headed. And then he says when you do that, verse 11, you're going to find a new joy and a new shout. You know, some of you have lost your joy. Some of you have lost your shout. God wants to give you your spiritual groove back. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Why? Because you're righteous now. And shout for joy, all of you that are now upright in heart. Confess your sin now. Cease your sin now. Change your sin now. Because if you don't, I can tell you what's going to come later. There will be pain. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pain. There will be exposure. What is done in the dark is going to come to the light. What is on the inside will be seen on the outside. What's in the well will come up in the bucket. There'll be shame. There'll be loss. And they could even be death. Today is the day of confession. Now is the appointed time. In closing, fate of America lies at the doorstep of Miles Road Baptist Church. The fate of our church lies at your doorstep and mine. If this church ever got right with God the way we should, I can tell you revival would come to this church and awakening would come to this church that would shake this community, shake this state, shake this region, shake this nation. But until God's people are willing to do something, nothing is going to change. I know every one of us say we don't do a whole lot of sinning. Because we equate our sin with lying and cheating and stealing and fornicating and, and drunkenness. And I maybe we have some of that in here, but by and large, that isn't our issues. Our issues were just lax and lazy when it comes to the things of God. And that's sin too. There's sin of commission. This is what I've done. There's sin of omission. This is what I should do, but I don't. Now I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. Our sin is we don't take worship seriously. If we did, we'd be back Sunday night and Wednesday night, wouldn't we? We don't take prayers seriously. If we did, there'd be a waiting line to get in the tabernacle. We'd have people here every day of the week wanting to pray. Your prayer closet at your house, the light would be burnt out. because You'd spend so much time in it. Our Bibles would be worn out because we're reading the Word of God. Our coffers would be overflowing, even more than they are now with people wanting to support the work of God. Our church would be filled with people because we've invited them to come. See, the great sin of the church at Miles Road is not so much what we do, it's what we don't do, and we don't do with a passion, and we don't do with intensity, and we don't do consistently. We're just content. And our nation is going to hell. Church is dying. Our families are breaking up Lives are so dysfunctional and messed up today, and we who have the answers are asleep in the stateroom.